This is an ABC podcast. This is Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber. 24-year-old Gabrielle Langkild grew up in American Samoa. She always knew she wanted to go to Harvard. Being at an Ivy League school was tough, though, and at times she wondered if Harvard had chosen the wrong girl. But Gabby was definitely the right girl. She went on to write a column focusing on the Pacific in Harvard's prestigious student newspaper, The Crimson. It was the first of its kind in the paper's 150-year history. Gabrielle Talofa. Talofa thank you so much for having me. Gabby, tell me, where did you grow up and who was part of your village? Yeah, thank you so much for the question. I was born and raised here in American Samoa on the island of Tutuila, more specifically in the in the village of Tafuna. And I grew up with two of my two brothers, but I would say that I grew up blessed with surrounded by cousins, aunties, uncles, and even beyond just my blood-related family, all my teachers, friends, those are people that were just more than friends and mentors. They truly did become family just because of the tight-knitness of of our community here in American Samoa. In my village in Kiribati, Abayang, I'm distantly related to pretty much everyone on the island. I assume that's similar with you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My dad's side of the family is from Pango on the east side of the island, and my mom's side is is actually from Samoa. So, you know, not only all over in American Samoa, everywhere you go, hey, that's auntie and uncle. You know, even when you go to <laughs> hop over to Polu in Samoa, it's auntie and uncle everywhere over there, <laughs> too. <and so. laughs> Tell me, did you play a lot of Swippy as a kid? Yes, uh, that was definitely the game of choice. And when I was in high school. <laughs> so Swippy instead of study sometimes, what made you want to go to Harvard? <laughs> yes, definitely was Swippy sometimes instead of study. But I mean, <laughs> I think I always knew I did want to go to uh, a big college or school when, growing up. You know, Harvard obviously was the one you just heard from movies. But I was also fortunate to have had parents who really believed in that, really pushed that, you know, supported me in in anything I I wanted to do. And Mm. not every kid is blessed or or fortunate to have that. And so so I think that helped me a lot in really believing that I could do that. I I think without that, I don't know if I really would have actually shot for it. But luckily enough, my, my parents believed I could do something like that. And I had mentors, especially one in particular. Her name is Miss Park. Growing up, she she told me at a young age, like when I was in middle school, that she, she told me I was gonna go to Harvard. She's I thought she was crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought she was crazy, but um, she grew up telling me, "Yeah, you're gonna go to Harvard. There's no doubt about it." And you know, hearing that at a young age, so important in a young person's life to have somebody that fully believes in you like that. So when you decided to apply for Harvard, who did you tell? <laughs> okay, so uh <laughs> sorry. Uh it's just funny because I literally told no one. <laughs> I always knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't really see a lot of people do it from here, you know. Uh I hadn't seen anyone especially apply for Harvard. And so I didn't tell anyone 
that I was applying. I think I told my parents, like, and then my mentor who always told me I was going to go to Harvard, and that was pretty much it. But the hard thing about that, right, is if you don't tell anyone, that's like less people that will help you now. Because, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I was really afraid to, to really let anyone know. Gabby, where were you when you wrote your admission essay? Yeah, when I was writing my admission, I, I didn't even have access to Wi-Fi. I was in Bolu at the time in my grandfather's village of Sulamumu because my father was actually uh, in the process of getting his malofie or his more, more commonly known as a, his uh, his be'am, which is the traditional tattooing of the legs for the you know, for Samoan men. And so, so it was a whole process, but at the same time, like it was, it was such a beautiful thing to have been witnessing. But at the same time, I remember just being like, oh my God, I have essays due. <laughs> and, I have, and I have no Wi-Fi. <laughs> Luckily though, like there is a lot of downtime and just because, and even though I was stressing a little bit because like there was no Wi-Fi and stuff, it, I think it turned out to be one of the best things for my essays, just because you are a little, we were a little isolated and stuff. It just really did force me to, to reflect. And some of those questions on the Common App are these like self-reflection questions of you trying to explain like who you are and and what are the, some of the key aspects of of your identity and what you bring to the campus. And I think when I was at school, like because I had been trying to write some of those essays for the whole semester and I was struggling because you know I hadn't really had to write about myself in that way ever in school but it really forced me to sit there and reflect on on the importance and and as I was just sitting there you know the importance of every day I was with my family and just seeing how beautiful it was to see how supported my dad was by everyone around the you know the village that that was supporting my family and all, all the people that make it up and so that's what I ended up writing about in my essay just about bringing that sense of community when you think about a community you think about like family and bringing that idea wanting to bring that idea of community wherever I go especially on a campus like Harvard and so luckily they thought it was cool so they (laughs) they accepted me (laughs) how did it feel being accepted it felt really great we were in computer class and you know I told a couple of my friends I had applied as well like a couple of my closest friends. And so I was like, I whispered over to them like, hey, like, can we open this together in, in the corner of the class? And the rest of my class was in there. They were just like hanging out on the computers. And so we opened it together. I think it was like three of us and we open it and like the confetti thing like pops up. And you know, those like videos, I don't know if you've ever seen those videos of kids who open their like Ivy League letters and there's like family around them. And it's like, they open it, they get accepted and like everyone's jumping up and out and celebrating and stuff. <laughs> Uh, that was not how it went. Oh no! <laughs> I open mine and like, and it says like you know, it completely comes out on the screen and like you've been accepted or whatever. And so me and my three friends were like jumping up and down, right? And and the whole class was like, you know what? Yeah, what are you guys? Why are you guys celebrating or whatever? And my friends, you know, yeah, yeah, Gabby got into Harvard, guys. Gabby into Harvard. And half of them were like, eh, like didn't really care. I think some of them were not super familiar with what Harvard, and then, but the other half was just was didn't even like believe it. They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, not, not even. <laughs> and then just went back. like everyone literally, it was so anticlimactic. Everybody just went back to what they were doing. Oh no! 
<laughs> I was like, uh, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so heading to the US and going to an Ivy League school must cost a lot of money. If you don't mind me asking, how did you fund it all? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It it does cost like an arm and a leg. But I was super fortunate that Harvard gives out a lot of scholarship money that's only based on financial needs. So they don't do merit scholarships. And so right. they assessed my need and, and they gave me a, a great deal of money. Like I was very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in addition to that too, to I also got a scholarship from the American Samoa um, government right. throughout my four years. And I also got a scholarship from Blue Sky, which is a local telecom company. And so that also made up the difference in whatever Harvard didn't pay. So I was really lucky to, I didn't have to take out any kind of loans. Uh, and so, you know, I think a lot of kids too, when I did get in, a lot of kids did ask me like, Gabby, how are you? yeah, that's great. But like, how are you going to pay for it? Mm. Um, and I think a lot of kids don't realize that with Ivy League schools, because they have such great crazy resources their their financial aid programs are are crazy so when you finally got to harvard what was the culture like there you know it was definitely a culture shock in the little things as well like i think i noticed in the little things first like just how fast people were walking you know back home over here (laughs) (laughs) you know like there's no rush to places (laughs) i don't know you know that could be good and bad you know but (laughs) you know it's just and that's just to say, though, the things are just a lot faster. Mm. Um, and I think I was kind of thrown into that, not prepared for it. And and things were, I just remember also feeling like culture of competition almost felt like sometimes. Mm. Kids would like talk about how little sleep they were getting. And that was almost like a flex. Like, you know, that's but the more rest you're getting, it's like you're not working as hard almost in a way. It's kind of like a toxic culture of like not, uh, of trying to kind of like, outdo each other in, in little ways mm. and, and not everyone was like that I will say and sometimes it wasn't even intentional I don't think because I, I think I started to participate in it as well like being in such a competitive like highly competitive like school breeds that kind of thing mm. um and then that you know later translates into like poor mental health on campus <laughs> you know yeah, of course <laughs> how much pressure did you feel oh a ton and I think it was on both sides as well right like I think on campus, there was that aspect of like trying to keep up with that kind of culture of go, go, go. But then I think on the other side, the pressure was also at home too, when I would come back for breaks. And I just remember a lot of the community was like, you know, oh, like that's our Harvard girl. That Mm. was beautiful because I, I love that they had that pride in me, but it was also a lot of pressure. You know, when I would come home, they would ask like, you know, how, how's it going? And I just felt the need to to always to be okay, like to be doing well and especially for them. You started off in a science degree, environmental engineering. How prepared were you for that? I definitely was not prepared for that when I was a freshman. I took my first science class my freshman year first semester I took that class I just remembered that was my first time I think I took my first midterm in that class my first midterm of the whole uh, semester and I think I got it back I had studied hard and everything you know like 
didn't even matter. I literally got like close to an F, like just barely a D on the yeah. first test. And I was, I just remember being like, oh, what the, like, oh my God. I remember getting that first test in. And then my friends, what made it worse, like, I remember my friends being like, oh, you know, oh my gosh, we got Bs. And I was like, I would give my, like, <laughs> you know, my left rib for a B right now. <laughs> <laughs> because this is my first midterm and now I have to tell my parents that I got a D like (laughs) did you call home then yeah oh yeah right after I literally I remember I called that day I really I remember so vividly because I went to the library in like a corner and I called my mom and I was like I think I was about ready to cry but I called my mom and I was like you know mom I got a D and my mom to make me feel better uh she was like yeah like you got above 50 right that's above average I was like I don't think that's how averages work but okay so and but I just remember telling her you know I was like mom you know I think that they must have switched up my application or something like I think I took somebody's spot and I think they must have messed up in admitting me I remember saying that to her I, I just remember being so defeated like I was like, mom, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. And it just felt so lonely, too, because that first semester, like, there was nobody from home. I was like, yeah, no family. Not only just no family, but just, like, no Samoans out there. Like, like barely any Pacific Islanders. Like, but, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of imposter syndrome, I would say, especially in those first couple years at Harvard. Yeah, that does sound tough. You're listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber and I'm speaking with Harvard graduate Gabrielle Lankild from American Samoa. Now, Gabby, you did find your feet in your junior year and left environmental engineering behind. Tell me what you ended up studying. Yes, uh, so I did leave environmental engineering behind uh, my junior year. And I think it was more because I realized my passion wasn't there beyond just not being prepared for that deg- that program. I realized that I always loved writing and then I started taking some uh, women, gender and sexuality classes my freshman year, just purely because I had to knock out some general education requirements. But I realized I ended up taking like a lot more of them than like I was doing my requirements for environmental engineering <laughs> and and just purely enjoying them way more and feeling truly empowered. I think that was the thing too. I was feeling truly empowered by those classes. Uh, whereas in some of my STEM classes, I wasn't I was definitely not feeling empowered, not with those grades. <laughs> mm. And so, yeah, I found myself in those classes often and and then connecting with the their department as well you know the department for for women gender and sexuality studies at harvard is pretty small but i think that's what made me like it a lot more too is just it was tight-knit and it reminded me of home it was a little hard though i remember people kind of questioning it my family included <laughs> you know you get that what are you going to do with that what is that degree for um yeah how how was that to describe to your family what gender studies is yeah. <laughs> I remember trying to explain it to my parents and, you know, my parents are very open. I think they, you know, had some questions, obviously, not just my parents, but just my family in general had those questions of like, what is that? Like, what is the study of gender? You know, I think uh, one of my relatives or uncles, aunties asked me, 
They're like, what's what do you have to study? You know, there's two genders. Like, isn't that the end of the study? <laughs> but you know, like, not everyone is for like fortunate enough mm-hmm. to have a liberal arts education to be talking talking about theories of gender. And so, just explaining, you know, trying to compact a lot of the theory I was learning to try to explain to my family, I think was also just good practice for me as well, right? Because I was like, if I'm going to study in gender studies, I better be able to like translate this. It brought up, you know, some really good conversation within my family. I know that towards the end of my junior year, my, and especially like towards the end of my senior year, my parents like, you know, they started to see, especially as I started writing for, for the Harvard Crimson in my column. And they started to see like the insights I was pulling, especially because I was, a lot of my critiques of things came from my gender studies classes. So tell me, Gabby, what was that column about? Yes. Yeah, so my junior year, I started writing a column about, well, it was called Pacifica Presence. And basically the aim of it was to bring to light Pacific issues on campus and also just Pacific, you know, a Pacific Islander's experience on campus. So it had been a couple of years of just of just being, you know, just being tired of having to explain a lot of stuff. And obviously not at the fault of my peers, just because I, I understand that some of them just weren't as educated, but I think I just did, it just did take a toll. And so I did get frustrated at times. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to write a column and then you guys can read it. <laughs> See what you think. <laughs> it kind of took on a life of its own. It started to reach back home. I remember just a lot of people sharing a lot of my pieces and then just not only back home, but I remember even beyond American Samoa and some of the other Pacific Islands, I remember a lot of other people sharing it as well, or, and even, you know, Pacific Islanders and diaspora. And so I would get a lot of messages just like, you know, really uplifting messages, just like of people just telling me that they felt seen and especially to have those experiences experiences written about in a Harvard newspaper. So that was just something that was so beautiful to to have witnessed. And I'm just so blessed that that sort of thing came out of that experience. How much was that Pacifica perspective lacking at Harvard? Yeah, it was it was definitely lacking. <laughs> I think I definitely noticed it, you know, in conversations on campus, just really like not including not just not it was not it was beyond just not including Pacific perspectives it was like not even thinking about it you know like it wasn't even a thought especially with climate change conversations of climate being so key to the Pacific and those conversations on campus not even having that perspective or or that perspective just not even being thought about but just beyond that too just even in, in class discussions like that perspective was just never talked about. And and then you turn, like when I would bring it up, it's like now you kind of turn into the teacher for everyone. Like the other student, so, I mean, not, there are other students that definitely also bear that burden, but there are a lot of students that don't, um, especially at, at Harvard, there are a lot of students that don't bear that burden of having to explain, you know, their identity and why it's key to, those discussions and why it deserves to be included in those Mm. discussions. Um, It's a big burden to carry. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like, I felt like I was carrying it often. Um, Mm. And, and sometimes, you you know, I remember my first two years of college, I was so scared to even speak in class, you know, just out of fear of 
not sounding eloquent enough or not sounding smart enough. I was just so afraid to speak up. And and then when you don't speak up, they, it's like, oh, like now, oh, I just remember always feeling, oh, I lost that chance to, to speak and fight my case. But looking back, it's like, I don't, I shouldn't have had to be always thinking about trying to fight my case. You know, I should be able to not have to speak up or, <laughs> you know, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And look, good on you for speaking up despite that fear. Gabby, you returned home to American Samoa to finish studying because of COVID, which Uh also meant that you could graduate in your village. How did that feel? Yeah. Oh, that was so beautiful. So I was so fortunate to have the have graduated alongside the other graduates at the American Samoa Community College. That was in 2021. Harvard was only going to have an online graduation because of COVID. When I look back on it, because I was bummed about not having a Harvard graduation, but when I look back on it, I was like, you know, actually this was so much more beautiful in a way that I got to graduate Mm. at home and celebrate with, you know, the village that made it all possible. And I just remember when they had called my name to walk across the stage and I just remember it was so loud, like the uproar of like the whole crowd was like so loud, especially when they announced, you know, my name and that graduated from Harvard. Everyone was so happy. I remember just getting like, you know, getting lays and ulas all the way up past your head. The other thing, too, was because I graduated at home, all my family was able to attend, you know, like that's not something that would have been possible at Harvard. But I just remember when (laughs) afterwards, you know, I was getting all the ulas and lays from my family. I was getting a lot of love from just all the other graduates that I didn't even know and their families as well. And just them telling me like, you know, we're so proud of you. We're so like happy to like have had you like walk in this graduation. It just just meant so much more. (laughs) Now you also gave a speech at that graduation. What did you say? Oh yeah, I actually, so I gave a speech afterwards at my, not at the graduation itself, but you know, it's like a graduation after a party. And I just remember my whole family was there, my aunties and my uncles too. And I just remember like when they told me to get up to speak to the family, I just remember just saying to them, you know, this degree is not just mine. It's all of ours. I would say that this degree is not possible without you all. And this degree means that we're not just I'm a Harvard graduate, we're all Harvard graduates but at the same time, like some of the stuff I've learned, some of the most important stuff that I've learned did not come from Harvard. It came from all of you guys. And I carry that with me wherever I go. And so, I, yeah, I just wanted to let my family, especially my family, my community know that like you guys hold such more, uh, much more powerful knowledge than I've ever been able to to grasp or learn at Harvard. And so, yeah, that was just the thank you speech to my family. That's beautiful, considering the knowledge you get outside of a university, the knowledge you get from your community and culture. Beautiful. Gabby, now that column you wrote at Harvard is now launching as an independent magazine, Pacifica Presence. What is its mission? Yes. So it's kind of the same mission as it was in the beginning, you know, to uh, to provide that Pacific Islander perspective, but it's beyond that now and just trying to uplift Pacific Islander art and stories, not just 
my own, but but from the broader Pacific as well. Because I think one thing I realized when after I had written that column, I, I entitled it Pacifica Presence because I had, you know, the intention of wanting to uplift Pacific Islander perspectives and, and and through my writing. But, you know, it's hard to do that if you're the only Pacific Islander writing that column. And so I think now with the independent magazine, I want to be more intentional about intentional about that mission of of trying to uplift Pacific Islander art and stories. And yeah, I'm just, I'm so excited to, I've always wanted to kind of do something <laughs> branching off of that column. And I'm, I'm so glad that it's, uh, it's uh, resulting in something like this, its own magazine. Mm, well, it sounds wonderful. How's your degree helping in your work today with a magazine and otherwise? Yeah, I think, that's a great question, right? Because, you know, that's the thing my family was always asking me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I, I I think my gender studies education has really helped in developing my lens and my, my critique lens. I will say, I think a lot of the way I critique things and the way I even just go about and, and my kind of worldview, obviously firstly was was influenced by my community here but i i will say i feel like my gender studies education has sharpened it i think if if my community has kind of developed helped develop and structure i will say the the gender studies education i received at harvard really helped sharp sharpen my critiquing lens and so just going forward in my work i feel like a lot of uh especially with the magazine just a lot of like things i look for in, in curation and i think it curating this type of magazine this type of work I, and even in my writing too and what and how I critique things and how I write I think all of that has been sharpened by my gender studies uh education because I think just beyond I mean gender studies I think a lot of people think that it was we only talked about gender but we also talked about so much more we talk about how yes gender and sexuality but we also talk a lot about how those mix in with complexities of like race, culture, ethnicity, you know, we talk a lot about intersectionality and all those, you know, how those, how do we, you know, kind of take apart or can't take apart those complexities. And so I feel like that was just some, some of the most perfect education for something, to tackle something like this. Hmm. Look, all the best with the magazine, Gabby. We will keep an eye on Pacifica Presence. Uh, finally, though, what would you say to others who dream big when it comes to university? Yeah, I I love this question because I used to, I mean, not used to, I, I still mentor a lot of students. And so just some of my advice, I'd say there's no there's no loss in, in trying to apply. You know, who, first of all, just know that as, as a Pacific Islander student, like you you know, you are the prize, <laughs> you know, you are the prize and universities lose out. You know, if, if they don't accept you or whatever, first, like I would say to every student, shoot for the stars, you know, there's no loss in applying, but if they don't pick you, that's their loss, not yours. And that's what I always tell my students because I teach here now. I, I always tell my students, you know, that's their loss. Just keep it moving because obviously if they don't want you, you don't want them anyways because they obviously are not able to see how much value you bring and you don't want to be in an environment that can't recognize 
the, you know, the light you bring to a campus. Uh, Gabby, Fafatai Lava for sharing your journey with me today. And you are the prize. I love it. Yes. Thank you, Gabby. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Bobby. <laughs> and thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course. That was Harvard graduate Gabrielle Langkild from American Samoa. You've been listening to Stories from the Pacific. I'm Bobby McCumber. And to catch more great stories about incredible people from the Pacific, just search for ABC Pacific. You'll also find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you know someone who should be a part of this show, you can email storiesfromthepacific at abc.net.au. This story was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people.